Welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at BestBallNFL. I'm joined again, our first returning champion to the Best Ball Pod, Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves on Twitter. Rich is the king of Sharp Football rankings. And he set off a firestorm on Twitter over the last week with some of his rankings, which really surprised me, Rich, because I really, as I got prepared for this pod, I really don't see much that's controversial. What uh, what set Twitter off so bad? What triggered Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just social media is going to be social media. I think, uh, you know, our... our, our uh... Our boss, uh, editor in chief here, uh, you know Warren Warren Sharp, uh, tickled some people here by kind of presenting maybe the quarterback rankings as real quarterback rankings. You know that always is going to trigger the masses as well. But you know people will find always something that stands out. I always think it's really fun when people like disagree with your rankings, but only have like a guy one or two spots away and they want to argue about it, like sword and shield. It's like, come yeah. on, man. Like we're talking about the QB seven versus the QB nine. Like we don't need to, you know, pull out knives here. Yeah. I, I didn't even make <laughs> questions for the pod based on that. Right. Like I, I at least looked for things that, you know, uh, well, you know, a couple things, you know, my article this week was on assumptions, Right. And we have to make assumptions in fantasy football, especially for best ball, right? Season long, you know, we have what last year's numbers were, but that's no guarantee. And we also don't know who's going to fit what role. And, you know, so there's a lot of assumptions, but it's very easy for assumptions to turn into biases and biases you know, blind you and can cause you to either uh, not get away from people you should or, um, you know, uh, not get on guys that you didn't like, even though there's good reason why. So I love episodes like this because it can challenge my biases. And uh, I'm open to your thoughts on assumptions and biases and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about uh, the marriage of this time of year when you're looking at, you know, projections, the first thing I ever do is is start to plug in my projections this time of year, especially post-draft, and we know where the rookies are going. And we're starting to really see these rosters kind of be like, what, 95% done across the league. Uh, we'll have some, some straggler for agents, maybe some injuries, change some things. But we get the projections, and the projections kind of roll into mold those, like, kind of initial rankings. But then also – you don't want to do them as a one for one, right? Like you want to just rank off your projections because we're talking about like medium out, median outcomes, right? And you, you'll fantasy football so much more than that. So many of these things are going to be fluid through injuries, guys just not playing well. Uh, you know, if the offenses just aren't as good as we expect. And that's where kind of like, I, I like the best ball minds a lot because best ball is already thinking big range of outcomes anyways. Uh, over like the redraft outcomes. But I love trying to find that marriage of like projections and rankings and then range of outcomes and kind of trying to put those together this time of year uh, because not all of those things are going to totally manifest themselves in a linear list fashion, which is people love rankings. The internet loves lists anyways. Like, you know, give us some lists. Well, already, right? It doesn't matter that, what that, Because they want to argue. They, right. they don't want to get better. They want to argue. <laughs> and to me, that whole mindset is a defeated mindset, right? If if you only want to argue, 
to me, you're already behind the eight ball because to me, like here, here's my first question. And, you know, uh, we'll, 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 we'll lead with it. Let's start at running back where you're lower on the field than B. John Robinson. I tend to agree with you. There's more risk than the field is baking in, especially in half PPR. With that in mind, if you were doing 100 best balls, how many Bichons would you target? And so what that's meant to do is challenge my own viewpoint on it. And as we go through these questions, you'll see um, I'm looking to make sure that I'm not wrong. And the reason mm. is because I have been wrong so often. And, you know, you, you start finally start sinking through your brain. I should do less arguing and more listening, Rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I would I would love 100 Bijans if I could get 100 Bijans. Uh, unfortunately, that's not always the world we live in because, you know, there are things that capital and cost, uh, unfortunately. But it's really interesting. Obviously, we have a player that's never played a down in the NFL. Um, he is a, a really, you know, kind of a lightning rod prospect in terms of maybe being the best pure running back prospect that we've had since, you know, Saquon Barkley in 2018. He checks just about every box. He lands into a spot that's committed to run the football. But also, like, what if uh, Desmond Ritter's not good? This is a team that also didn't throw to running backs at all last year. You think it would increase, but when we're trying to project those types of things, it's it's kind of a gray area, right? Like there's still a, realistically a theoretical chance that as good of a receiver B. John Robinson is, we can't even get enough targets for the guys we know that are good, like Drake London and Kyle Pitts, right? Like We, we want those guys to get more targets uh, in this offense, let alone the running back. Uh, so, I mean, what if he only catches, you know, 35 or 40 passes, right? And, instead of, you know, 60 to 70, that takes, that skims a lot off of the, the floor and the potential ceiling outcome, especially in overall. What if he just doesn't have the touchdown luck, right? There's all these different variables that kind of play into it. And the running back position itself is wide open. So that's why he's getting pushed. You know, you look at, the unique landscape that is 2023 fantasy drafts. I mean, every running back has question marks. I cannot remember a year like this since maybe 2016, the year after Devontae Freeman was the RB1 in fantasy football. I mean, even it, you can pick apart all these guys, even Christian McCaffrey, who literally has been a top five running back every year he's played uh, in fantasy football. You know, you look at his splits without Elijah Mitchell. Are the 49ers going to try to keep him fresh? Are they are they afforded that opportunity? Uh, you know, Austin Eckler is, is going to be 28 years old. He's coming off a career-high 300 touches. Does he have the touchdown luck he's had the past two years? It just immediately gets into, like, this kind of really area where it's easy to take apart these running backs. So it's easy to say – we've got this new shiny toy. Let's push him up the board. Right. Um, and especially some of the receivers that he goes next to as well. So uh, obviously ideal world, I would love a hundred Bijans if I could have a hundred Bijans, but with him already being kind of priced almost really behind Austin Eckler, it's really hard for me to get a hundred Bijans. Uh, and then the, the secondary conversation is this is, is what are you playing? Right. So Todd, I know you're a guy that does um, a lot of tournament best ball play, right? So you're thinking about these portfolios and how you're going to build them out. But uh, I, I don't play a lot of tournaments. Uh, I do, you know, sprinkle in enough lottery tickets as I want, but I feel like the best ball community has gotten like steered away uh, from, you know, improve winning ROI, right? Like winning these leagues, right? Winning these 12 man leagues, these 10 man leagues. These are like best ball is still a very winnable game. If you can turn your, 
you know, eight and a half percent inherent win rate into a 12 and a half percent, a 14 percent. And your ROI is going to look really good. And then you use your lottery tickets to kind of just be fun money. Right. Uh, you know, that's how we play DFS in tournaments, you know, cash games versus tournament play. Uh, so if you're in a tournament and you're trying to max out these the best ball mania beer or something like you can't ignore and have zero Bijan Robbins, even if I'm a little bit lower on the uh, lower than the field, you might come underweight a little bit, but you still have to have him. Right. Because what if he is the RB one uh, in those types of scenarios? But if you're just playing in leagues. Right. And you're not really worried about the portfolio aspect. You don't necessarily have to have any of them. Yeah. So a couple really good points there. One. That's why I most of my money goes to the FFPC, and I feel like it's because it's a hybrid. It's a tournament, but where, I mean, you could get on DraftKings or Underdog. It's very close between them. You know, a 17% advance rate is average, kind of ties into what you were talking about um, with old-fashioned best ball winning 8%, right? 17%. I mean, if you get a 30% advance rate and you have a pretty good second week, first week of the playoffs, you're still going to be down about 25 to 30% of your money. Never mind if you don't have a good advance rate, right? So on the FFPC, um, it's $125, but you get 300 for advancing, mm-hmm. right? So you know, if I do 100 FFPCs, that's 12,500. If I get that 30%, I'm already back 9,000 out of my 12, five. I, you know, if, and then if I get a, and they, and they advance more teams as well in the tournament, the first week is two out of 12. So that's another 17%. Let's say you get 20. That's nine teams. That's another, um, you know, nine times another 600. I mean, you're basically profitable with uh, two really good weeks. Uh, So um, it's not a cash game, but I think that's a very good point that you make. My fear with Bijan, I mean, I see him go top five. I think there's too much opportunity cost. Uh, We talk about that a lot in DFS too. You know, there's running back values right now throughout the draft boards to, to, to take a guy like Bijan over a Stefan Diggs, over a Cooper Cup, over um, sometimes Jamar Chase. I mean, to me, I just think that's too high of a price. I'd like to at least be even weight on Bijan, but if he's not, like he came, uh, I was on the clock 10th the other day and I took him just so I would get one because I haven't had one for a while. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you, you just like I said, if you're if your portfolio building out where you're going to max enter these tournaments or you're going to come close to it, uh, you, you have to, right? Like you have to just swallow swallow it uh, sometimes and try to big, make some different unique builds. Uh, because the other time, the other thing too is when you're doing that, you don't want to fall into this rut where you're just like consistently drafting the same guys at the same position, right? Uh, you're going to end up yeah. with a lot of rosters that look the same. And then if you don't hit and you're eating up a, a large portion of that. Uh, so you are going to have to just mix that in with those um, – with those tournaments when you're trying to build out that like big portfolio. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that is absolutely correct. And even uh, players I'm, that, you know, you might not even like love 
that are just up there, right? Like, you know, uh, like let's just use Ramondre Stevenson as an example, right? Like there's a lot of fragility. Like there's a lot of upside in in there too. So you're just – but like you think about like the players he's next to, it's like, man, am I really going to take, you know, R- Ramondre Stevenson over, you know, a, an established player? Like we know that's like multi-years of like being a good player. Uh, it might be the right move, but it's it's hard to get over that mental block. So you just have to mix it in, right? When you're doing this, uh, when you're when you're building out like these large portfolios and this large, uh, you know, sample size of entries, you you gotta just you gotta mix it up a little bit and see what some things look like. Biggest biggest fight that I have with other high end best ball players, not the average fan, the guys who are playing my kind of volume, is my reticence to go above 15% in the first two rounds and 25% overall. You know, I get a lot of people saying, no risk it, no biscuit. And I'm like, dude, injuries happen. Injuries don't care. Right. The different, like you do these, um, you do these uh, rankings, right. You know, the difference between the seventh and the ninth guy maybe is 20 points, 30 points over a year, which over, you know, a 14-week regular season is one to two points. That pales into, it, you know, because if someone gets hurt for the year, now you're bleeding 14, 15 points. You put 30% on a guy in the first two rounds, and it it, it, it can it – could, it, the – the chance of injury is much greater in my mind than the anything that you like or don't like about a player going that early because everyone going that early is talented and has pretty good opportunity, Rich. Yeah, and I think when you look at it from a projection stance, which kind of illuminates some of this, the wide receiver position definitely stands out. But, uh, you know, you you get to like basically where I have these, these projections and you get to like wide receiver 14 and like wide receiver 14 to like wide receiver 32. We're talking like 20 points of projection over a full season, right? Like it's a huge tier of guys, but when you put them in a linear list and you're like, hey, you have this guy 14 and this guy 26, that's a wide gap, right? It's not nearly as wide as that linear list makes it look. And and that's why A, I mix it up. B, in big tournaments, I'm willing to reach once in a while to be unique because it's, you know, especially if there's a correlation there week 17. Um I think that's the mo- the most subtle thing about best ball tournaments that the not not like I said not the average player the guys who are really you know putting 15 20 grand I get into these arguments and I'm like you do realize you like I'm not going to have any of this guy really you're not going to have anything you know the rest of the field thinks a guy's a second round wide receiver and and you want zero Right, because you have it in your head that you know. Anyway, um, let's it's move. It's a humbling on. game, man. It's a, it's a hard game to it occupy, really is. Uh, to operate with uh, complete hubris. We've all been humbled in this 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 space. I, I, I've spent <laughs> so much more time this year checking my facts, watching tape. You know, I'm good at tape, especially for running back. Um, Matt Harmon's, uh, who's going to come on uh, at some point, his reception perception. You know, you know, really double checking my biases and assumptions versus what the the work that other people do because it's so um you know like two years ago if you didn't have the correlation of Amon Ross St. Brown 
and Rashad Penny right. the last two weeks, you you weren't winning money, right? And I had very little Amon Ross St. Brown. Why? I had a bias against him. Why? I don't know. I just didn't work. I didn't do the work. Um, so let's keep going through these. I noticed Jonathan Taylor. You have not a lot lower, but you have Taylor behind Tony Pollard um, at seventh. Your thoughts on Pollard over Taylor and in general, what is it about Taylor that makes you nervous? Yeah, so if you if you followed my work uh, uh, over the years, I mean, obviously uh, in 20, I want to say 2018, I put out an article at Roto World about the impact that uh, rookie quarterbacks have on NFL offenses and how that relates to fantasy football. And, you know, as, as excited we are about Anthony Richardson and his fantasy value, and especially getting that premier draft capital, which is a signal that he could play. He could start as early as week one now, and we get a full season out of this mobile quarterback, this hybrid quarterback. But, I absolutely think he does start week one. Yeah, I agree too. Uh, but what these guys do to their skill players historically has been a nightmare. All these guys have been have completely underperformed, uh, especially at wide receiver and running back. Uh, you look at first round quarterbacks uh, since 2000, uh, 75% of those running backs have had a dip in production year over year with that rookie quarterback. Now for Jonathan Taylor to be worse than he was last year for fantasy is probably a, a – uh, a bar that he can get over, but how much ceiling does he have? Even his RB1 season two years ago was the lowest scoring RB1 season of the last decade. So, you know, it, you, you factor that in. Uh, also got, you know, Mike, Michael Pittman. It, it just absolutely kills him. And then when you factor in the type of quarterback Anthony Richardson is, right, and what he does, like historically guys that are in the mold of Anthony Richardson don't throw to their running backs. So how many catches do we get out of Jonathan Taylor? Is it a situation where he's got to house all these long runs? Um He's a premier talent, though. I mean, he is a guy I've always said is like the modern Adrian Peterson. Like, he's the current version of what Adrian Peterson is a runner. Uh, is he ever going to have like 60 catches? Probably not in a year, but he's the he's guy that can just take any handoff, you know, 60 yards for a touchdown like P AP was, you know, back in the day. Uh, but I just think when you compare him to some of the other running backs that are at the top there and you factor in that rookie quarterback, uh, historically has lowered these guys' expectations. That's something I'm always, you know, cognizant of. And I just kind of keep him in like that mid RB1 type of range, especially with him not catching as many passes as he did. He's one of those guys, like we talked about, like because of that, though, like I need to force some Jonathan Taylor uh, into these tournaments because if I am wrong, you know, we get to, you know, week, you know, 17 and they're playing the Raiders, which is an extremely stackable game, right? Uh, you know, I want to be able to have some of that. Absolutely. Um, so I, I mentioned 15%. I also don't like being under four on first and second round guys. It's I've been wrong too often. You know, I've just been wrong too often. Um, now, um, on your point, the one guy that I'm not worried about because I think the quarterback is an absolute upgrade is Stroud replacing, what's his name, Davis Mills. Mm -hmm. I think I think that Stroud is does, is not going to hurt Damian Pierce. Your thoughts on that one? Yeah, Damian Pierce is tricky because I I love him as a player. I mean, even going back to you know that last season at Florida, everyone you know has seen that touchdown that he scores without a helmet. I think he actually reversed the touchdown because his helmet came off. But everyone's seen the run. I mean, he's that kind of guy. Uh, but when you factor in like where he's at with Houston now, and is Houston going to be an offense like? Where do they go? Are the, is this a team that's going to be able to get out of the bottom third of the league? 
Uh, then you add Devin Singletary. This is already a guy that didn't catch any passes uh, last year. And then you talk about the way he ended last season, Damian Pierce. I mean, it was just absolutely brutal. It was like an unrosterable player. Uh, you know, he, well, he rushed he got for. Hurt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he even even before that, I mean, he had a four week stretch where he had 170 rushing yards total. Uh, didn't catch uh, three or, three or more passes uh, a game, so it's just really kind of hard when you factor in the in- environment. Um, I love the player. I don't love the situation. I don't love that they added uh, a guy that I don't believe is really any good. But you know, co- co- it doesn't matter what I think, right? If uh, they like Devin, if they like Devin Singletary, oh, I'm right, Devin right, Singletary. Right. Uh, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> I look at Singletary more as a guy who's going to replace Rex Burkhead mm-hmm. than, you know, I mean, Pierce got a lot of carries. Um, he was fifth or sixth in broken tack- uh, yards after contact, right below Nick Chubb last year. They brought Shaq Mason. This is my counterpoint to that. They brought Shaq Mason over. They've upgraded the uh, – they also took a fourth-round pick in the offensive line. Um, they took a first rounder last year too. So yeah, the defense is going to be better. Um, I think as well. And although, you know, in other words, Stroud's an upgrade enhanced weapons and have offensive line. One of the reasons that Stroud did bomb so badly last year is they were three, four touchdowns down every week, um, in the second quarter. So I, I do think there's a, you know, I li- I don't like him in full PPR. And I think my, either next week or the week after what I'm going to do, one of those old articles that we always did in DFS, you know, go site by site, compare ADP. And, you know, like Damian Pierce's ADP really isn't much different on a full PPR than a half PPR by much. But mm-hmm. to me, you know, I'm very interested in a guy like that in half PPR. I'm not as interested in a full PPR. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys, like, uh, if you follow me, as you've listened to me over the years, like, I hate drafting players on bad teams. It's just like a, a, a bias it's a I fair have. point. It, it, it's just something, like, and I don't believe Houston's going to be any good. But I actually do love Damian Pierce, the player. So you're right, maybe I should. Uh, you know, pepper him in a, a little bit more uh, just because of the fact I do believe that he is a talented player and a talented runner. Um, and if we can just luck box into, you know, maybe eight touchdowns, we'll be okay. Well, eight touchdowns. And then I think that's very doable. I think that also, you know, again, if he's actually on the field in the third and fourth quarter and, get, you know, if, you know, when you're down two, three touchdowns, you're not going to get the rock as a running back. So, um, I think I can tell myself a story, and I like betting on his talent. Um, you are higher on James Cook, even in half PPR, and less high on Damian Harris. In half PPR, I've been taking more Harris. Um, your thoughts, I mean, you have a pretty good spread on them, more than what I'm seeing on the sites. Uh, what is it that you like so much about uh, Cook? Uh, really just the, it's the range of outcomes, right? So Damian Harris, uh, a very good running back, but he's going to f- fit very specific team builds, right? Uh, for him to kind of have like true RB1 upside, he has to score a lot of touchdowns. He probably has to have an injury to James Cook to amass the amount of volume because he's only going to get rushing attempts as touches. Uh, so th- those guys fit a very specific team team build, right? Like you're going your zero RB or wide receiver heavy. Uh and he very well could be a guy that has like a Jamal Williams type of season last year, right? Where he just doesn't catch any passes, but has 15 touchdowns because the offense he's in. Uh, that exists. 
But James Cook's like ceiling outcome, he is one of these guys that can do it all and is in this elite offense already. So what if it's from a projection stance, we're not going to project James Cook because of Josh Allen, because of Damian Harris to have all of these rushing attempts and all these rushing touchdowns. But what if the workload is higher because of those things are getting fat over factored in? We have a guy that averaged over six yards per touch as a rookie. He already was uh, one of the most efficient receiving backs in the NFL as a rookie. He was one of the most, he was sixth among all running backs and carries that resulted in a first down or touchdown. So the run out for like a player like that, like what's the difference between the range of outcomes for James Cook and Jameer Gibbs, right? On a ceiling perspective. Now, Jameer Gibbs' median projection is a lot better because he's got that insulation of of the receptions. But James Cook's ceiling outcome should be just as good as Jameer Gibbs, right? Like if everything broke his way, the way that people wanted to break from Jameer Gibbs. Well, I can't. That's arbitrage. I can't draft. Jameer Gibbs at ADP, especially in a half PPR in the third round, end of the third. Um, I will take him if he falls mid-fourth in a full PPR, again, just to have some. I really like Montgomery. Um, I feel that a couple years ago, I had a lot of Swift and almost no Jamal Williams. Swift was going in the fourth. Jamal Williams was going in the 11th. I thought that was out of balance, right? So I was heavy on Swift. Next year, Swift was in the second. Jamal Williams was in like the 16th. And I said, all right, the balance is out of balance the other way. And I had about 25% Jamal Williams. And that really helped me a tremendous amount last year. Right now, I think Montgomery is out of balance with uh, Jameer Gibbs because, you know, I I think he's going to he, he can catch the ball. Um, they have a great offensive line near the goal line. Gibbs couldn't even get on the field at Alabama uh, in the red zone. So uh, that's one that I'm heavy on Monty in that one. And I actually am willing to take both Cook and Damian Harris on certain teams because if I've got one or two good running backs in front of me, I feel like every week one of those guys is going to give me a usable score. And if there's an injury then, you know, it's like trading a eighth and a 10th or a ninth and 11th round pick for a second round guy. If one of them gets hurt, I call it stack cuffing. And my favorite one to do that with this year is Damian Harris and James Cook. Yeah. I mean, I I totally get like when you, cause you look at like a projection stance, like a guy like James Cook is not going to. Let me just interject. I think that's only a best ball thing. I don't no, because no, I don't you do that in real real life. Correct. You, it, it, you can't do that in redraft because you have to pick. You have to set a lineup. You have to set right. a lineup every week. But yeah, I mean, I don't think people are looking at like the potential high end range of outcomes for James Cook because of the projection and median kind of outcome. What's interesting though is everyone's doing the opposite for a guy like DeAndre Swift, right? Like DeAndre Swift still being drafted as where we're factoring in this elite run out, right? Because he's another guy that doesn't project well now going from Detroit to Philadelphia because how many targets can he get? Obviously, Rashad Penny's an excellent and efficient runner, but he's still being kind of drafted as Kenneth Gainwell is still alive last I checked. But he's still being drafted at that, like, well, this scenario exists where what if it's all this work? He gets all this work. But, like, James Cook doesn't have any of that really factor in. He still kind of goes around RB30, like, all the time. Uh, but he absolutely has one of those ranges of outcomes where like, what if he just got a lot more work? This, this is the team that took him the second round last year. Yeah. Um, yeah I feel and, like there and, should be... and they talked about giving him more work as soon as the year ended. 
And then they let Singletary go, who you know they liked as a player and as a person. Yes, they replaced him with Damian Harris. Early on, I was all over James Cook, and then they signed Damian Harris, and he was going two, three rounds later. And especially half PPR, I like Damian Harris. I'll take the discount. Uh, but I'm glad we had – this is what I mean, because you find yourself shifting. Uh, I, I had just started getting back on my radar to take more James Cook, so I'm really glad you mentioned it because I, I really do feel like what you're saying about his ceiling is absolutely true. Yeah, like I said, I always bring up the word arbitrage, so we think like player archetypes – how they're utilized. And th- think about those three players that we just laid out. You have Jameer Gibbs where his ADP is, then you have DeAndre Swift, and you have James Cook. But what's like the true difference of what types of players they are and what offenses they're in, right? It's not wide. We're not talking about a, a, a very wide gap here, but uh, that's how you can use arbitrage to your advantage. That's how you can tier guys up uh, and use them properly. Uh, you know, you're going through the draft board. I love that. Uh, maybe we'll have another pod later before the season where we, we do an arbitrage pod. I, I, I think that is a uh, that is a term that I've heard for season long in certain things in fantasy um, DFS, but I really haven't heard that term in best ball. And I, I think that's another way to kind of look for opportunity that I really like. Um, I do want to talk about Kenneth Walker. He is probably the most polarizing guy on Twitter. And he was going, you know, locked in as a mid to late second round pick in early best ball. They get Charbonneau, uh, Charbonnet, Charbonneau, uh, who I do like. But I didn't like him as a prospect nearly as much as Walker. Walker has that home run ability. Mm-hmm. He's now going, like, I I see him mid-fifth, and it's really hard for me to pass on a guy as talented as him in the fifth round. Um, And your rankings have Walker definitely higher than what the field is saying now. Uh, What are your thoughts on Kenneth Walker, and where would you be willing to start taking him? Yeah, Kenneth Walker is a guy, I think, especially in these best ball drafts, especially on underdog, the way underdog scoring works, uh, that the market has just over overthought or overcorrected on from where it was, right. you know, pre-draft and then post-draft. Uh, one, for this type of format, he's exactly what you look for uh, because he's going to drop really crooked numbers on you. Uh, he's going to have games where he has these 50, 60-yard touchdowns. He's a very boomer bust runner. He was that way in college at Michigan State. He was that way as a rookie. We shouldn't really anticipate him to be anything different. Um, but the big numbers are going to be really big and you don't take on any of these games, like in a redraft league where he might not catch a pass. He doesn't score a touchdown. He gives you, you know, 67 hollow yards for fantasy you don't get any of those in this format. So be able to get him in like the fifth round. And I think it's just under underdog in general, which is so wide receiver heavy, uh, has pushed him down. I think when you get to your season long leagues come August, like you probably won't see a lot of fifth round Kenneth Walker, even in full point PPR, uh, when we're doing FFC, there's a lot FFC. of Charbonnet stands out there. Um, I, you know, I like Charbonnet. I th- see he's the type of guy I normally wouldn't have drafted in the past because I think Walker's the better back. Um, but Charbonnet is now also dropping a bit. He's in the tenth, and I think he is a another. You know, him and Elijah Mitchell are guys that I love taking if I've already got two stud running backs. 
two or two to three very good running backs in the first 10 rounds. Give me a, a Mitchell or a Charbonnet who are one injury away from being monsters in run heavy offenses. And we and we already have proof that Kenneth Walker is a, a relatively you know productive player in the NFL and can be a productive runner even for the shortcomings he had in terms of success rate or negative runs. We do already have proof that what he was good at in college has translated and was you know successful in the NFL. And Seattle's just not going to ignore that, right? Like this, there, there's not going to be probably a scenario where this ends up being like a 50-50 split. Like the talent is going to probably win out a little bit. Uh, in terms of the split, what you worry about for Charbonnet is if he ends up being like a better uh, grinder, like because he could get, he could weasel his way into the short yardage opportunities. Right? He is he he is good at that. Yeah, and that's what you just worry about that in the range of outcomes for Kenneth Walker is if the, if if Kenneth Walker ends up being this true home runner strikeout runner, does Seattle when they need when they have a third and two then want to say all right, well this could be a home run or we can't pick up this first down. Maybe we just put in the guy that's going to get us the three or four that we know, but maybe he doesn't have the ceiling outcome. Uh, that's what you kind of worry about if that does to happen. But I mean, I will, we're not expecting any of the Seahawks guys to catch a ton of passes anyways. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, he's a guy I think that it, everything overcorrected on a little bit and everyone's thinking that it's the, the, the end is nigh for Kenneth Walker. But I mean, I still think when you look at the guys he goes around, I mean, I still want Kenneth Walker, especially in these best ball formats where I'm taking on the best scores. I don't have to get him right on the the weeks where he has, like I said, those like 65-yard games. Uh, it, it seems like it's just a, such a layup pick where he's at. But I think that's just where the landscape is right now on underdog versus kind of where we'll end and where the pucks can end up getting to towards the you know end of August. So I think you just grab Kenneth Walker now because I think when we get there, the the it'll flip a little bit and he's going to rise when we get to the summer. I'm not so sure because Charbonneau seems to be a Twitter darling. And um, sometimes the hype doesn't stop. Um, I do want to throw in one other thought here. Walker, remember that one run right near the goal line where he hurt his ankle? And the next two to three weeks, his numbers were down. I think one of the edges that's available still is we account for points per game but we don't account for guys who, who who don't miss games but play through injuries that, you know, knock down their ability. And Kenneth Walker had about three games where he just wasn't – you didn't see that big upside that you had seen in other games. And I can tell myself a story that it's injury-related, Rich. Yeah, and you can do that with a number of guys. I mean, T. Higgins obviously has three games that count against him where he really didn't even play in. Uh, uh, Jerry Judy is another guy. When you look at like Jerry Judy, he didn't miss a ton of time, but the, he also didn't have a ton of games where he, he played like a high allotment of snaps. But when he did, you know, he, he was excellent. I mean, he, Jerry Judy last year only had 11 games where he played 60% of the team snaps or more. Uh, but in those games, he was a wide receiver two or better in eight of those 11 weeks. You know, I love when, Judy this year. And when you factor and when you start factoring in like all these other things that go into points per game, you lose out on that. Uh, anytime you can start getting into the weeds uh, on that under the hood, you can tell yourself kind of a false lead, but it definitely is a step beyond just using points per game too and kind of looking at just the full games they played or when these guys had, uh, you know, their full time. Then when you get into splits, it's easier to kind of uh, to, to get lost in the shuffle. But there's a, all these guys where you factor in like guys missing time, right? Brandon Ayuk's been like that his whole career. Brandon Ayuk has 11 wide receiver one scoring games in his career, 
but six of those have come with Debo Samuel not even playing, right? Uh, so it's really same hard. With, same thing with McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. I mean, there's 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 all these like different variables that go into it, and those are things like when you walk talking about it. You know, I think the best ball community does a better job of it than the redraft community because you know we're not drafting as many teams in redraft. I think as best ball, but best ball is really good a lot this time of year of you know guys walking through the scenarios of what happens if this domino falls and what does that mean. Uh, as opposed to when we get to August, where you might only be drafting five redraft teams, and you're saying I'm playing for this outcome for this player. Um, that, that, that's kind of the, the the difference. Yeah, I, I agree, and I I like Jerry Judy a lot this year, and I've noticed he's uh, he's dropping a little bit um, recently. So um, moving over to wide receiver, um, you have Cooper Cup ahead of Jamar Chase. Um, the numbers back it up. Um, but, um, you know, Cup was, there was actually a time when he was going like 1-9, 110. Um, you know, what is it about Cooper Cup that you have him rated ahead of Jamar Chase? Yeah, I mean, it's really easy. I mean, before he was injured, he was doing the same, uh, you know, target hog, you know, that we were seeing. It wasn't quite to the level as 2021, but, I mean, he had still had 30 well, the offense wasn't as efficient. Right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, as far as, yeah. But I mean, he's, he's, he had 33% of the team targets. It was number one in the NFL. Uh, he was second in target rate per route behind Tyree kill. The team loses Allen Robinson. He's a guy that they've shown can, they can consistently scheme open regardless of the circumstance the offense is in. And, you know, they said like you're getting a healthy Matthew Stafford, we hope. Uh, and just by default, the Rams are probably going to be a little better anyways because they'll just the offensive line will be healthier. You hope Stafford's you know healthy. Um, and like I said, proof of proof of concept we've already seen. McVay can get Cooper Cup open and in a litany of roles too. Last year he didn't even play in the slot a ton. He was getting more vertical targets um, and was playing outside more than he was the year prior too, and was still able to get all these targets in this high just bed of floor. I don't have any problem with Jamar Chase. Again, we're picking nits when we're talking about like what number these guys one through maybe five or six are, right? Like the gap isn't wide. And if you're someone that wants to just bet on career arcs, you're going to take Jefferson and Chase over Cup and Tyree Kill and Diggs anyways. Uh, but yeah, I think when you look at just Cup's you know, target outcome and Jamar Chase, what's interesting thing about the Bengals is as good as they are and as much as we love all the talent in the Bengals, this team has like weird lulls. Like the Bengals disappear sometimes on offense a lot more than their talent level su- suggests it should. Uh, it's like everyone forgets like the opening like five weeks of last year existed for like didn't exist for Jamar Chase, right? Like everyone forgot. Like everyone was like complaining about Jamar Chase for like the opening, you know, six weeks of the season last year. It wasn't until the Saints game when he kind of went off and then caught like this this wave of run. But his usage totally changed last year too. I mean, they his his deep targets were cut in half. He was more of a volume-based producer than I think people realize. Uh, but again, we're picking nits when we get into this area. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. It was just worth uh, asking yeah. <laughs> about because um, it is polarizing, um, and you don't have to take Cup ahead of oh no uh, 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 of Chase because if you're doing a hundred drafts, you're only going to get a shot at Chase so many times. You've got to take it uh, where Cup uh, ten, you know tends to go sometimes as late as seven or eight. You never see Chase there. You're never getting Chase there. Yeah. Um, Chris Olav, who I do like, is now going uh, middle of the second round. I agree with your rankings that put him squarely in the mid-third round, and you have him behind Metcalf, Higgins, and Smith. 
Why do you think the field is, uh, I mean, do you think the field has gotten ahead of its skis on a young, talented player? I think it's just the, like I said, I keep tying in just like the, where the initial the landscape is right now. I mean, we've got kind of wide receivers just really inflated in general. Like the price on wide receivers um, is just really high right now. But I mean, it, you look at that way teams are drafting right now and maybe it changes, maybe it doesn't. But this is kind of my area of why, even if you like McCaffrey, he's hard to take as a top five pick because of what's left coming back to you. It's a lot easier for me to, to force Jamar Chase or, you know, you know, what wide receiver, you know, five uh, in that area, uh, whether it be Diggs or, you know, you like Devontae Adams, you like Tyree Kill. Because when you come back in the second round, you're staring at Chris Olave, uh, you know, T. Higgins, uh, DK Metcalf, or you're looking at Nick Chubb, you're looking at Derrick Henry, right? So or do you want to start Justin Jefferson, Nick Chubb, or do you want to start Cooper Cup, Nick Chubb, or would you rather start Christian McCaffrey, Chris Olave? I can tell you. Basically, I feel I want to start the other way. Uh, and so when you get to that kind of firewall here, that's the kind of area where I'm interested to see if it changes, because I think that group of running backs is just a lot better bets, because I think once you get to Alave and maybe all the way through to like wide receiver 25, there's not like a huge gap between those guys. Right. Um, and there'll be a lot of guys we'll go, we'll get to January and we'll say like, all right, I wish I would have been higher on this guy. I wish I had more of this guy on my rosters and less of this other guy. But Right now, there's not a huge gap between even a guy like Chris Lave and Jerry Judy, who we talked about, right? When you look at projected target share, uh, when you get to projected offense, it's like it's not a huge gap between these guys. And Chris Lave, who was really excellent as a rookie, I have no pushback on him. But when he was going over the back half of the season, I mean, he wasn't that strong of a fantasy producer the final seven weeks of the year. Now, are we going to get anything out of Michael Thomas? Who the hell knows, right? But he exists as a variable uh, if he if he does perform. Uh, Rashid Shahid came on at the back half of last year, and that kind of impacted Chris Lave a little bit. So I don't mind him at all. I just think it's where the landscape is right now, is that these wide receivers that are not very comfortable fantasy picks are in that second round now because of the wide receiver landscape overall. I mean, I don't want to take T Higgins in the second round. I don't, I don't I want to don't. take him. I don't really want to take him in the early third round, but it's just the way it is. It's the way it's inflated. That's why I think the drafting right now, I think the the optimal way to draft in this pocket of the meta right now, to, to, to call it like that is to go wide receiver, running back, running back, and then just wide receiver for another gap again. Uh, I just think that it's that's the optimal path that has been kind of laid out to the way the public in the meta is drafting right now. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Bijan and um, it's very hard for me to take a first round running back. Um, right. It it just is because of the opportunity cost. Um, another Are you guy, about guys like like Terry McLaurin, like what's the range of outcomes versus Terry McLaurin and Chris Lava? Like how wildly different are they? Right, Amari right. Cooper. Like, you know, and those are guys that are going in the second round, the T Higgins of the world, uh, the DK Metcalfs. Um, it's not that we're down on those players. It's just the way that the structurally teams are being built right now has inflated those guys who are not as good as just the running back picks at that area, especially in a site like underdog where half point PPR uh, is geared itself to make those guys better picks too. Anyways. Agreed. Speak, speaking of Metcalf, the field really hasn't dinged him for the JSN pick, and you certainly haven't either in your rankings. What your What is your thought process uh, on Seattle as a whole? We've seen JSN not get dinged much for his landing spot, Metcalf not get dinged much, 
but Lockett has gotten dinged, yeah. and and I think he was the best pick before, and I think he's the best pick now. Yeah, and I have Metcalf and Lockett relatively kind of kind of tight, and then you know JSN is more of a guy you're going to look at being maybe like a second half producer, right? A back half guy. I think we've just been really spoiled the past couple of years. We've had these elite wide receiver prospects and we've had them hit and they've hit big for fantasy football. That used to not always be the case. Uh, but the league told us that they didn't view this wide receiver class as having any of those entities. And then they drafted it as such, right? Like, you know, JSN went and picked 20. It's the first wide receiver taken at pick 20. And historically, like these guys that have been mid first round picks or back end first round picks, like they haven't historically hit the ground running. Justin Jefferson, the one exception, but it's taken these guys a little bit of a slow bake to cook. Uh, and I don't think that that's being priced in. I think inversely, the success of the front end guys who had that premier capital uh, in the first place being successful, even Garrett Wilson last year, he would pick 10. Like, you know, like it's not like the guy was, you know, pick 25 or pick 20, like where some of these guys were. Uh, this year is not being fully priced in. So, I mean, the fact that JSN goes af- uh, ahead of Lockett is wild to me uh, to begin with, but that's, I mean, that, where, that, where that, we are. that's like crazy world to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, you know, and what's going to happen is, you know, we talk about the dead zone. It's the dead zone between now and camp. And then all of a sudden we go to camp and, the, and you're like, oh, JSN isn't on the field in two wide receiver sets. And then, you know, he's going to drop two to three rounds. And that's the buying opportunity. Um, You know, and, you know, my next question had to do with Addison and JSN. I mean, I'm having a hard time drafting Addison at ADP also. And he's the one guy that everyone's kind of glommed on to, has the biggest runway. So it it elevated his uh, draft stock a little bit. I mean, going circling back to the Seattle thing for one last point, the interesting guy that hasn't moved at all in this whole Seattle thing is Geno Smith. Geno Smith right. still stands out, even on a site like underdog or best ball, because quarterbacks inherently go higher than they will in your redraft leagues because you have to draft multiple of them, and then the stacking is so prevalent. But Geno Smith hasn't even moved. And, you know, everyone's still drafting these three Seattle wide receivers at relatively strong cost, but Geno's just hanging out. Uh, which is the interesting kind of component there. But yeah, when you look at the rookie wide receivers in general, I think this wide receiver class, because the league has told us this, that they're a little bit less, they're a little more bearish on this wide receiver class than they have been in the previous wide receiver classes. So we should inherently be a little bit more bearish on them too uh, for a fantasy stance. I, I absolutely am. Um, let, let's finish up wide receiver with the Baltimore Ravens. You have Bateman well ahead of both Flowers and OBJ in your ratings. That's how I've been drafting it. I mean, I'll take some Flowers because a lot of times if I have Lamar Jackson, I can take Flowers and get Bateman on the way back, and I don't mind having both. Um, But to me, I I mean, Bateman, um, I know he's got the injury concern, but um, your thoughts on that situation? Well, I mean, in the NFL, you're injury prone to you're not. People are always going to be, if, you, if you're a guy that's missed time for two years in a row, they're going to say, oh, all right, well, it just means you're automatically going to miss time again, right? That's not how we know. That's not how things work. And it just circles back to where I had these guys kind of as prospects, uh, you know, coming out. And that's more looking at it like Bateman versus A. Flowers than where Odell is at this point of his career. Bateman was one of these guys I thought literally, he almost, in my model, he is almost a similar grade to a guy like Justin Jefferson. He won inside and outside at college, can play basically any wide receiver position. He was hyper-efficient last year before he got injured. He's he's proved he's proven that he's a good football player when he can play. 
so yeah, I want to just be able to buy in uh, on the upside of him kind of fulfilling where I believe, you know, his projection kind of lied as a prospect uh, versus those other versus a guy like Zay Flowers, who again, probably a decent best ball pick will have some home runs. Um, but Bateman, it clearly to me, and we have already seen Lamar kind of drop it to us, right? Like he's the wide receiver one on the team. Yeah. I mean, I, I had 12% early on Bateman on underdog. And uh, right now I'm looking at, hold on a second. Ah, it don't matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think Bateman is, you know, what I like to call a post type sleeper. Right. You know, we were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt last year coming off the injuries, but not two years in a row. And, you know, them adding other receivers um, has really, um, you know, put him in a range where you talk about arbitrage. You know, Bateman has that kind of, you know, exclusive upside that we're looking for in best ball at, on the cheap. And how you tailor your wide receiver room, right? I wouldn't put, ba uh, you know, like I wouldn't put Bateman and Kadarius Tony together necessarily with one other guy like that where it's like the all-risk team. But if I've got two or three really solid wide receivers, uh, putting Bateman as my fourth wide receiver feels really good right now. Yeah, he's a guy I think just structurally fits a lot of builds, right? Like uh, maybe not maybe one of the like a hyper volatile build, but I mean, he did, he's, his range of outcomes is so good that uh, you have the luxury of if you've gone wide receiver heavy, just gives you another anchor. Uh, but also if you have gone a little bit on the volatility end, the, it just gives you one more kind of upside bullet to kind of throw at, at the wall. Who, who's, who's one or two of your favorite late wide receivers? I mean, I like Bateman. Uh, I like Jameson Williams. A little bit hesitant for this week. No, I mean late. Oh, uh, uh, you know, late, last I couple mean, rounds. I mean, uh, trying to think of, of of you know, kind of where I have. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of how late we're we're going late. Uh, Rashid Shahid definitely is on the board there. Uh, as gross as it is, uh, Devontae Parker uh, is oh, another that guy is that gross. stands out. Uh, yeah. I mean, his, his targets still were consistent last year. He's a guy that's averaged 15 yards per catch. It's gross. I get it. No one wants to pick him. A little bit of Tyquan Thornton for that uh, reason, too. Uh, also, not on underdog, but if you're playing on FFPC or DraftKings, Kyle Phillips is uh, one of my go-tos. I just drafted him last week with uh, one time, and I said, why aren't I even considering him more? Yeah, I, I mean, he's not, he's not the prototypical underdog guy that you would draft, but definitely yeah. on DraftKings and, and FFPC. Uh, he's definitely on my board on those. I mean, this is a guy week one last year, he caught six. He got, it was, he had nine targets and had six catches. Uh, you were a little bit about the potential quarterback change and will Levis mid season. But I mean, there's really nothing in the way of Kyle Phillips for him to be the, the, the slot receiver for a bad offense inherently. But we're talking about a guy that goes wide receiver 80 anyways. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, Kyle Phillips is with Will Levis is a very sneaky stack, right? Because week 15, 16, 17, you literally could draft them round 17 and 18 or round 19 and 20 in 20 round drafts and, and have a really sneaky um, kind of uh, third quarterback. Yeah, I and like speaking that. of quarterbacks, you're a little lower on 
Justin, I mean, you're, you're, you, you are really close to both how it's going at quarterback, um, but you're a little lower on fields, a little higher on Herbert. Um, what is your fear with Justin Fields? Because to me, once you take away those five games where they didn't use him correctly, he averaged as many points above usable as Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think with Fields is just like I've, I've brought this up on a few podcasts. It's just that what he did last year feels very much like what Debo Samuel did the year prior at wide receiver. The way he scored his points are just unsustainable. So we're okay. going to need to see this change of him as a player. And it, it does exist in his range of outcomes because where Justin Fields has to improve is as is the, the passing mechanic of fantasy football. So. Justin Fields is one of my favorite picks last year because of the cost. You you know, I love buying guys that are his archetype when they're cheap. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of where Anthony Richardson is in that strike zone right now this year, maybe even potentially even Trey Lance. But, you know, now Justin Fields is being drafted as what about Sam Howell. Is. What's that? What about Sam Howell? I mean, I watched his college tape. Well, he doesn't, he's mobile, but doesn't have like that kind of rushing. No, he doesn't have that kind of juice. <laughs> he's not going to, he's not going to run. They yards. ran him a lot on, on dedicated runs in college. Yeah. His, uh, yeah. His senior year, but I mean, he's not a guy that we're going to like, he's not going to threaten 800 or a thousand rushing no. yards. It, it, uh, it, it's sad that there's nobody other than Richardson and everyone's on Richardson. Yeah, I'm the only other guy you can really kind of talk yourself even to having that range of outcomes is Lance, and like he takes such a step of faith, but he's really the only other guy uh, that kind of fits that profile. But now that Justin Fields is being priced in as basically being Jalen Hurts, right? We have to have that Jalen Hurts outcome now because these guys that are the, the Konami code guys. Well, he, he goes 12 to 24 picks after Hurts. But I'm telling you, this is where Jalen Hurts went last year. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so like we need that same outcome. Um, and that takes a little bit of step of faith because Fields has just been one of the worst passers since entering the NFL. And he has a couple other bugaboos like in terms of sack avoidance, which doesn't matter for fantasy football, but it does matter for real football and may be something that limits his you know, starting caliber perception for the Bears who still have kind of runway to see if they want to commit to him or not. But you add DJ Moore, you add Darnell Wright to the offensive line. These things can be there uh it's really easy to draw that kind of corollary of like look what the bills did for josh allen look what the eagles did for jalen hurts and get there but it does i don't think the risk is being priced in a, enough with him either i'm still high on him i think i'm qb7 you know it's not like i'm down on him no at all, a little no bit but i mean he goes off for uh, well now that lamar is signed lamar is a solid four but fields is fifth and you have yeah again and, uh, not a big not a big difference um, the one guy late that you're way lower on than the field is Jordan Love. Um, why no love for Love? <laughs> I just think he fits that. It, you can remove the ranking for him, right? Like he just fits a bucket of guys. Like can he really be? Can he really punch up to be more than like a streamer QB one type, right? Like, and it's just really hard. It's the same thing with Kenny Pickett last year. Like, what's the gap? Uh, how, what's the ceiling these guys can get to? Uh, it's not so much the number that's attached to Jordan Love. It's just the type of player he is, right? Um, yeah. That, that's yeah, really I, I kind of like him because he does have a running ability. He's not like the – He's not a statue. Yeah. I mean, well, he can run. 
Um, all right, let's move to tight end. We're running out of time. I do want to hit on one or two things. My favorite thing I noticed at tight end is it's kind of spicy, and I agree with it, that you have uh, Waller ahead of Pitts, Kittle, and Goddard. And, um, I mean, Waller was a big target of mine uh, pre-trade because he was going two, three rounds later, and I still like him at ADP. You agree. Um your thoughts on why you, you're so high on Dennis Waller this year? I mean, just the the runway that he has in terms of potential targets. I mean, we know the Giants want to be more aggressive than they were last year. They still kind of added just a bunch of puddle jumpers and then Jalen Hyatt, who's a third-round rookie. We don't know how much Jalen Hyatt's going to play, right? Like, especially early on, uh, we can't really count on that. So Waller basically is the only kind of vertical target they have outside of Darius Slayton and – Darius Slayton's a, a, a fine player, but we saw as the season wore on. I mean, he was getting outproduced by guys like Isaiah Hodgins and, and Richie James. You can't have that happen to you either. So just kind of the target runway. I really – Pitts is a guy so monitor because sometimes he falls and sometimes he doesn't. And uh, when Pitts falls, I I, I want to grab him because we know, like, where the upside lies. But then right. he's still – like, nothing Atlanta's done this offseason has given us any type of signal like they want to change, Right. Uh, and he's still dealing with potential quarterback issues, but we know that there is talent. Like it's weird because there seems to be like a group of fantasy gamers or, you know, that, that just think he's bad at football, which definitely is not the case. No. Uh, this is a guy that had, well, he had a thousand yard season at age 21. And even last year was sixth among all tight ends and yards per hour run. It was just the usage of the offense and kind of the structure of the offense that limited him. But there seems to be a group of people that think Kyle Pitts isn't good at football, which is really mind blowing to me. Uh, we didn't really touch on Herbert, but one of the weirdest things about Herbert last year was like there seems to be a group of people now that think Herbert's like overrated and not one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the world, uh, which is absolutely mind blowing to me uh, that people actually think he's bad at football. And like, I don't know how we're getting to this point just because maybe it's a fantasy dichotomy, right? Like they disappoint people think they're just bad. And uh, Kyle Pitts, maybe we have to wait a couple more years for the absolute kind of ceiling to hit but when he does fall i still do like to try to grab him just in case just in case it comes together and he has been more lately because i find myself taking him more and i think ritter is very interesting because he does have a, a running floor um you know and i think that you know it's one of those math equations where you've got drake london going in the fourth fifth round you've got pop Kyle Pitts going in the sixth, seventh round. You've got Bijan going in the first round because a lot of it because of how he can catch the ball. But Ritter is available in the 19th round and or 18th round on underdog. And I'm starting to target those guys and then plan my teams because not every one of my teams is a three quarterback team, but I'm willing to wait on, on my first quarterback later knowing that I have Ritter sitting out there in a stack with a in a beatable week 17 game with with some talented guys yeah and one of the, like I said we talked about it with Geno Smith a little bit too like you look at the the teammate ADPs versus the the quarterback and where they're going and that just inherently right now is a path to find some value on some guys uh, because of where they're the playmakers off if all those playmakers are going to hit and fulfill even two-thirds of those guys right like even if uh, one of Drake uh, Drake London or Kyle Pitts hits with Bijan. I mean, it probably means that Ritter wasn't uh, an abomination. Yeah, and the, and the numbers are that he was better than Mariota, right? You know, I've seen some things that showed, and they threw the ball more with him than they did with Mariota. Um, 
you know, I talk about assumptions this week, and the assumption is that Arthur Smith is a complete dolt, and but Arthur Smith did pass more two years ago when he had Matt Ryan, so maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, I, I I like Greg Dulcich a lot. I mean, um, I know there's some concerns. I have him higher than you. Um, we've seen Sean Payton get a lot out of the tight end position. Um, talented guy, showed out when he played. Um, why do you think Dulcich is where he is? Yeah, Dulcich and Aconqua are kind of the two guys like everyone wants to make this jump. But where they're going to have to make the jump, it's it, it's why tight end such a slow burn in the NFL. Uh, it's that these guys are absolutely – You actually don't have them that far down. I, I apologize. You actually have him ahead of Komet and Kincaid, and he's mm-hmm. been going behind those guys lately. So we are actually on the same page with uh, Dulcich. Yeah, I think when you get into that strike zone of tight end upside guys, like like I said, Dulcich and Aconcord are the two guys that stand out. But why tight end is such a slow burn in the NFL is because it's it's uh, you know treated as kind of like a, a full on position in the NFL, and these guys don't have the blocking acumen yet to kind of get on the field all three downs. And so can we talk about with the, with the running backs, right? Like with James Cook and some of those guys, uh, because you look at a Conquo and Dulcich, they were so bad uh, in, in the run game. And as blockers last year and held, it got to a point where they weren't even asked to do it. Um, and you look at kind of Dulcich in particular, we'll start with him. Every move the Broncos have made have kind of signaled that they kind of still treat that in the range of outcomes. They immediately in free agency signed Chris Manhurts who has done nothing but block his entire career. Uh, and then they go out and trade for, you know, Adam Troutman, Sean Payton's love child. He, Sean Payton once traded it the rest of his entire draft to get Adam Troutman, who also has blocked first over than he's run pass routes. So every move the Broncos have kind of made have kind of said like, ooh, Dulcich may not be a three-down tight end uh, and maybe more of just like in on passing downs, which we do want our guys running routes. But we also want our guys on the field the full time too. Aconquo is a little interesting because he's he's that subset of guy where he's he's only 238 pounds, right? Like he's 240 pounds. Uh, historically, like those guys don't play as like three down guys, uh, you know, in the NFL at the tight end position. Uh, maybe he's just a glorified receiver, and we have that kind of run out. But you look at Aconquo as a blocker last year, and this is why he didn't play in one tight end sets. Uh, 47th and run blocking grade at Pro Football Focus last year. Uh, he did lead all tight ends in, in target rate per route run when they did throw out of one tight end sets, but it was just such a small sample. It's hard to say like that's going to be like a huge jump for him. So they, those guys do take a step of faith, but I do think that those guys are kind of in that upside grouping, right? Like I would much rather just wait on one of those guys than draft like Dalton Schultz, right? Like and just be like vanilla. Hundred percent. Like you I mean, know, we exa- I mean, I am faced with sometimes Schultz being there a round and a half after ADP and Dulcich there, and it's still a hard click for me. Um, I don't think Schultz is a bad player. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think he's he been actually ice cream. Get- yeah, what's that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's he's very much vanilla ice cream. It's not yeah. that any, not any shade towards him. It's just that you know, if I'm already taking Dalton Schultz, like why not wait a little bit and take someone that like maybe has a little bit of spice right involved. Uh, Kincaid Kincaid is probably the one guy like I just can't take him where he's going. No. Uh, the Bills historically, we talked about it a little bit with James Cook. The Bills historically have slow played all their rookies, anyways. They have on offense and defense, like they slow play all. They've historically slow played their rookies. Uh, 
And you, anytime you're talking about a tight end too, and you're saying, well, he's going to be their slot receiver. All right. Like historically you could just, they could have just taken an actual slot receiver. This is the most, that's the weird thing about this whole Kincaid pick with the bills. is like, they could have just taken an actual slot receiver if that's what they wanted and they did not So it's really a unique paradigm here. I still think Dawson Knox plays a lot in one tight end sets. And then that again, how much is Kincaid truly on the field? How much are we just trying to run into some potential? It's, it's kind of a weird area. And then you talk about just in general, rookie tight ends aren't good draft picks. They really haven't been historically. So I'd rather kick the can and wait on like Laporta if we're taking a rookie tight end. But uh, yeah, very hard for me to push the button. I I didn't even like Michael Mayer that much. But I mean, you know, there there are some late tight ends that I really like. Um, I like Isaiah Likely a lot. I mean, I like Jelani Woods a lot. Yes, there are reasons why they might not get the volume, but that, you know, yeah, I think they're talented enough to give you the three, four weeks floor that you need out of a third tight end. But if you get an injury to Mark Andrews, Isaiah likely is, you know, shown that he can do it. Yeah, he's the contingency bet. Um, you know, Jelani Woods was a guy I was prepared to be more bullish on. And then, like I said, the rookie quarterback factor, I think, dinged him a little bit. But for best ball, I think you're still fine. Uh, a guy that is, I think is supremely undervalued in these drafts right now is Tyler Conklin. Uh, you look at, there's only been nine tight ends the last two years that have 50 catches and over 500 yards the past two years. And everyone's giving all these other jets the bump for getting Aaron Rodgers. But Kyler Conklin just still goes like tight end 24, tight end 25, every draft. Uh, he's definitely been like an easy target for me because we've seen Rodgers will throw to tight ends in the red zone. And this is a guy that's already, I think, been a little bit better than he's been given credit for the past two years. Yeah, I uh, only take him on Rogers' teams, but I think you know I'll throw out one other name that I like late is Jake Ferguson. Um, you know, you get certain people who say, "Well, you know, Schultz isn't that talented. Dak made him a thing." Uh, well, if Dak made him a thing, I don't think Schoonmaker is going to be ready uh, year one. Um, uh, one of my favorite late guys is Ferguson. Um, thoughts on that, and then we'll get out of here. We are over budget time-wise. I don't care. I wanted to get to everything I wanted to with the great Rich Rebar. Yeah, I mean, I'm long-winded too, and we'll get get on some tangents. But yeah, you, no I interrupted you at least eight times to 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 to, to add my wind. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jake Ferguson, no issues there. Uh, I believe that he will be the pass catching tight end of Dallas. I think Schoonmaker's gonna be more of a blocker. Uh, those two tight end sets. I think Ferguson's the guy you'll see when they go, uh, you know, one tight end, and then they have a guy running routes on those plays. Um, yeah, I have no problem with it. I mean, it's it's tight end, always that kind of world. I will say this, the one interesting thing, and I wrote about this a little bit for the book and submitted my you know Kansas City Chiefs chapter for the book, is as great as Travis Kelsey is, and he is deservedly so, the number one tight end, and he should be the number one tight end. There's really no way that Travis Kelsey is going to offer as much positional leverage that he offered last year. It was such a historic outlier the gap that the field had to Travis Kelsey, that that is advantageous to play in fantasy football right now. Um, You look at last year, the tight end two and overall scoring 
as the lowest scoring tight end two in a season since 2016. It was the second fewest points the tight end two scored uh, over the past 12 seasons. Uh, as a byproduct, TJ Hawkinson was the tight end two. He only scored 68% of the points that Travis Kelsey put up. It was by far the highest positional leverage the tight end one has had over the tight end two in the past 30 years of fantasy football. Historically, that average gap has been 86%. Last year, it was 68%. Even in the years Kelsey previously was the tight end one overall, the margin of, of points that the tight end two scored compared to Travis Kelsey was 94%, 97%, 95%, 88%, 89%. So by, by default, the tight end position is going to offer – more leverage on Travis Kelsey's output, even if he is the tight end one overall again this season than last year. And that's something you can use to your advantage in drafts right now. Absolutely. Um, I will add my thoughts on it. Kelsey is a very tough, you know, he was going seventh, eighth, ninth last year. Now he's going third um, in a lot of drafts. Because of that. Uh, it, you know, I mean, look, it was a historic run out. Andrews uh, got hurt. Pitts underperformed, then got hurt. You know, the, the diff, you know, Hawkinson. Yeah. D Hawkinson was fine, but not until he got traded. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. And you got to throw in the fact that he is now 34 years old. Eventually Travis Kelsey is going to slow down. Um so, yeah, he's a tough click for me right now. Rich, thank you so much for coming on again. I loved your rankings. Overall, I mean, there was nothing, not anything that I could look at and said, wow, I really don't like that. Um, I, I think there were... You're one of they, the few. What's that? You're one of the few then. Well, I, I am not the Twitter mob. That's going to do it for this week on the Best Ball Show, and we will see you next week. Yeah, and you can do that with a number of guys. I mean, T. Higgins obviously has three games that count against him where he really didn't even play in. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jerry Judy is another guy. When you look at, like, Jerry Judy, he didn't miss a ton of time, but the, he also didn't have a ton of games where he, he played, like, a high allotment of snaps. But when he did, you know, he he was excellent. I mean, he Jerry Judy last year only had 11 games where he played 60% of the team snaps or more. Uh, but in those games, he was a wide receiver two or better in eight of those 11 weeks. You know, I love Judy this year. And when you factor and when you start factoring in like all these other things that go into points per game, you lose out on that. Uh, anytime you can start getting into the weeds uh, on that under the hood, you can tell yourself kind of a false lead, but it definitely is a step beyond just using points per game too. And kind of looking at just the full games they played or when these guys had, uh, you know, their full time. Then when you get into splits, it's easier to kind of uh, to, to get lost in the shuffle. There's a, all these guys where you factor in like guys missing time, right? Brandon Ayuk's been like that his whole career. Brandon Ayuk has 11 wide receiver one scoring games in his career, but six of those have come with Debo Samuel not even playing, right? Uh, so it's, it's same really thing hard. With, same thing with McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. I mean, there's 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 all these like different variables that go into it. And those are things like when you walk talking about it, you know, I think the best ball community does a better job of it than the redraft community because, you know, we're not drafting as many teams in redraft, I think, as best ball. But best ball is really good a lot this time of year of, you know, guys walking through the scenarios of what happens if this domino falls and what does that mean? Uh, as opposed to when we get to August where you might only be drafting five redraft teams and you're saying I'm playing for this outcome for this player. 
Um, that, that, that's kind on. of the, the, the difference. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like Jerry Judy a lot this year. And I've noticed he's, uh, he's dropping a little bit um, recently. So um, moving over to wide receiver, um, you have Cooper Cup ahead of Jamar Chase. Um, the numbers back it up. Um, but, um, you know, Cup was, there was actually a time when he was going like 1-9, 110. Um, you know, what is it about Cooper Cup that you have him rated ahead of Jamar Chase? Yeah, I mean, it's really easy. I mean, before he was injured, he was doing the same, uh, you know, target hog, you know, that we were seeing. It wasn't quite to the level as 2021, but, I mean, he had still had 30 well, the offense wasn't as efficient. Right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, as far as, yeah. But I mean, he's, he's, he had 33% of the team targets. It was number one in the NFL. Uh, he was second in target rate per route behind Tyree kill. The team loses Allen Robinson. He's a guy that they've shown can, they can consistently scheme open regardless of the circumstance the offense is in. And, you know, they said like you're getting a healthy Matthew Stafford, we hope. Uh, and just by default, the Rams are probably going to be a little better anyways because they'll just the offensive line will be healthier. You hope Stafford's you know healthy. Um, and like I said, proof of proof of concept we've already seen. McVay can get Cooper Cup open and in a litany of roles too. Last year he didn't even play in the slot a ton. He was getting more vertical targets um, and was playing outside more than he was the year prior too, and was still able to get all these targets in this high just bed of floor. I don't have any problem with Jamar Chase. Again, we're picking nits when we're talking about like what number these guys one through maybe five or six are, right? Like the gap isn't wide. And if you're someone that wants to just bet on career arcs, you're going to take Jefferson and Chase over Cup and Tyree Kill and Diggs anyways. Uh, but yeah, I think when you look at just Cup's, you know, target outcome and Jamar Chase, what's interesting thing about the Bengals is as good as they are and as much as we love all the talent in the Bengals, this team has like weird lulls. Like the Bengals disappear sometimes on offense a lot more than their talent level suggests it should. Uh, it's like everyone forgets like the opening like five weeks of last year existed for like didn't exist for Jamar Chase, right? Like everyone forgot. Like everyone was like complaining about Jamar Chase for like the opening, you know, six weeks of the season last year. It wasn't until the Saints game when he kind of went off and then caught like this this wave of run. But his usage totally changed last year too. I mean, they his his deep targets were cut in half. He was more of a volume-based producer than I think people realize. Um, but again, we're picking nits when we get into this area. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. It was just worth uh, asking yeah. <laughs> about because um, it is polarizing, um, and you don't have to take Cup ahead of oh no uh, 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 of Chase because if you're doing a hundred drafts, you're only going to get a shot at Chase so many times. You've got to take it uh, where Cup uh, ten, you know tends to go sometimes as late as seven or eight. You never see Chase there. You never getting Chase there. Yeah. Um, Chris Olav, who I do like, is now going uh, middle of the second round. I agree with your rankings that put him squarely in the mid-third round, and you have him behind Metcalf, Higgins, and Smith. Why do you think the field is uh, – I mean, do you think the field has gotten ahead of its skis on a young, talented player? I think it's just the, like I said, I keep tying in just like the, where the initial, the landscape is right now. I mean, we've got kind of wide receivers just really inflated in general, like the price on wide receivers um, is just really high right now. But I mean, it, you look at that way teams are drafting right now and maybe it changes, maybe it doesn't, but this is kind of my area of why, even if you like McCaffrey, he's hard to take as a top five pick because of what's left coming back to you. It's a lot easier for me to, to force Jamar Chase 
or you know the, you know what wide receiver you know five uh, in that area uh, whether it be Diggs or you know you like Devontae Adams you like Tyree Kill because when you come back in the second round you're staring at Chris Olave uh, you know T Higgins uh, DK Metcalf or you're looking at Nick Chubb you're looking at Derrick Henry right so or do you want to start Justin Jefferson, Nick Chubb, or do you want to start Cooper Cup, Nick Chubb, or would you rather start Christian McCaffrey, Chris Olave? I can tell you basically how I feel. I want to start the other way. Uh, and so when you get to that kind of firewall here, that's the kind of area where I'm interested to see if it changes because I think that group of running backs is just a lot better bets because I think once you get to Olave and maybe all the way through to like wide receiver 25, there's not like a huge gap between those guys. Right. Um, and there'll be a lot of guys we'll, go, we'll get to January and we'll – say like, all right, I wish I would have been higher on this guy. I wish I had more of this guy on my rosters and less of this other guy. But right now, there's not a huge gap between even a guy like Chris Lave and Jerry Judy, who we talked about, right? When you look at projected target share, uh, when you get to projected offense, it's like, it's not a huge gap between these guys. And Chris Lave, who was really excellent as a rookie, I have no pushback on him. But when he was going over the back half of the season, I mean, he wasn't that strong of a fantasy producer the final seven weeks of the year. Now, are we going to get anything out of Michael Thomas? Who the hell knows, right? But he exists as a variable uh, if he if he does perform. Uh, Rashid Shahid came on at the back half of last year, and that kind of impacted Chris Lave a little bit. So I don't mind him at all. I just think it's where the landscape is right now, is that these wide receivers that are not very comfortable fantasy picks are in that second round now because of the wide receiver landscape overall. I mean, I don't want to take T Higgins in the second round. I don't, I don't I want to don't. take him. I don't really want to take him in the early third round, but it's just the way it is. It's the way it's inflated. That's why I think the drafting right now, I think the the optimal way to draft in this pocket of the meta right now to, to, to call it like that is to go wide receiver, running back, running back, and then just wide receiver for another gap again. Uh, I just think that it's that's the optimal path that has been kind of laid out to the way the public in the meta is drafting right now. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Bijan and um, it's very hard for me to take a first round running back. Um, right. It it just is because of the opportunity cost. Um, another Are you guy, about guys like like Terry McLaurin, like what's the range of outcomes versus Terry McLaurin and Chris Lavi? Like how wildly different are they? Right, Amari right. Cooper. Like, you know, and those are guys that are going in the second round, the T Higgins of the world, uh, the DK Metcalfs. Um, it's not that we're down on those players. It's just the way that the structurally teams are being built right now has inflated those guys who are not as good as just the running back picks at that area, especially in a site like Underdog where half point PPR uh, is geared itself to make those guys better picks too anyways. Agreed. Speak, speaking of Metcalf, the field really hasn't dinged him for the JSN pick, and you certainly haven't either in your rankings. What your What is your thought process uh, on Seattle as a whole? We've seen JSN not get dinged much for his landing spot, Metcalf not get dinged much, but Lockett has gotten dinged, yeah. and, and I think he was the best pick before, and I think he's the best pick now. Yeah, and I have Metcalf and Lockett relatively kind of kind of tight, and then you know JSN is more of a guy you're going to look at being maybe like a second half producer, right? A back half guy. I think we've just been really spoiled the past couple of years. We've had these elite wide receiver prospects, and we've had them hit, and they've hit big for fantasy football. That used to not always be the case, uh, but the league told us that they didn't view this wide receiver class as having any of those entities. 
And then they drafted it as such, right? Like, you know, JSN went and picked 20. He's the first wide receiver taken at pick 20. And historically, like these guys that have been mid first round picks or back end first round picks, like they haven't historically hit the ground running. Justin Jefferson, the one exception, but it's taken these guys a little bit of a slow bake to cook. Uh, and I don't think that that's being priced in. I think inversely, the success of the front end guys who had that premier capital uh, in the first place being successful, even Garrett Wilson last year, he would pick 10. Like, you know, like it's not like the guy was, you know, pick 25 or pick 20, like where some of these guys were uh, this year is not being fully priced in. So, I mean, the fact that JSN goes af- uh, ahead of Lockett is wild to me uh, to begin with, but that's, I mean, that, where, that, where we are. that's like crazy world to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, you know, and what's going to happen is, you know, we talk about the dead zone. It's the dead zone between now and camp. And then all of a sudden we go to camp and, the, and you're like, oh, JSN isn't on the field in two wide receiver sets. And then, you know, he's going to mm-hmm. drop two to three rounds. And that's the buying opportunity. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I, my next question had to do with Addison and JSN. I mean, I, I'm having a hard time drafting Addison at ADP also. And he's the one guy that everyone's kind of glommed on to, has the biggest runway. So it, it elevated his uh, draft stock a little bit. I mean, the, going circling back to the Seattle thing for one last point, the interesting guy that hasn't moved at all in this whole Seattle thing is Geno Smith. Geno Smith right. still stands out, even on a site like Underdog or Best Ball, because quarterbacks inherently go higher than they will in your redraft leagues because you have to draft multiple of them and then the stacking is so prevalent. But Geno Smith hasn't even moved. And, you know, everyone's still drafting these three Seattle wide receivers at relatively strong cost, but Geno's just hanging out, uh, which is the interesting kind of component there. But, yeah, when you look at the rookie wide receivers in general, I think this wide receiver class, because the league has told us this, that they're a little bit less – they're a little more bearish on this wide receiver class than they have been in the previous wide receiver classes. So we should inherently be a little more bearish on them too uh, for a fantasy stance. I, I absolutely am. Um, let, let's finish up wide receiver with the Baltimore Ravens. You have Bateman well ahead of both Flowers and OBJ in your ratings. That's how I've been drafting it. I mean, I'll take some Flowers. Because a lot of times if I have Lamar Jackson, I can take Flowers and get Bateman on the way back. And I don't mind having both. Um, But to me, I I mean, Bateman, um, I know he's got the injury concern, but um, your thoughts on that situation? Well, I mean, in the NFL, you're injury prone to you're not. People are always going to be, if if you're a guy that's missed time for two years in a row, they're going to say, all right, well, it just means you're automatically going to miss time again, right? That's not how we know. That's not how things work. And it just circles back to where I had these guys kind of as prospects, uh, you know, coming out. And that's more looking at it like Bateman versus, say, Flowers than where Odell is at this point of his career. Bateman was one of these guys I thought literally, he almost, in my model, he is almost a similar grade to a guy like Justin Jefferson. He won inside and outside at college, can play basically any wide receiver position. He was hyper-efficient last year before he got injured. He's he's proved he's proven that he's a good football player when he can play. Uh, so, yeah, I want to just be able to buy in uh, on the upside of him kind of fulfilling where I believe, you know, his projection kind of lied as a prospect uh, versus those other versus a guy like Zay Flowers, who, again, probably a decent best ball pick will have some home runs. Um, but Bateman, it clearly to me, and we've already seen Lamar kind of drop it to us, right? Like he's the wide receiver one on the team. Yeah. I mean, I, I had 12% early on Bateman. 
on underdog and uh right now i'm looking at hold on a second ah, it don't matter um <laughs> but uh, i i i think bateman is you know what i like to call a post type sleeper right you know we were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt last year coming off the injuries but not two years in a row and you know them adding other receivers um has really um you know, put him in a range where you talk about arbitrage, you know, Bateman has that kind of, you know, exclusive upside that we're looking for in best ball at, on the cheap. And how mm -hmm. you tailor your wide receiver room, right? I wouldn't put, ba uh, you know, like I wouldn't put Bateman and Kadarius Tony together necessarily with one other guy like that where it's like the all-risk team. But if I've got two or three really solid wide receivers, uh, putting Bateman as my fourth wide receiver feels really good right now. Yeah, he's a guy I think just structurally fits a lot of builds, right? Like uh, maybe not maybe one of the like a hyper volatile build, but I mean, he did, he's, his range of outcomes is so good that uh, you have the luxury of if you've gone wide receiver heavy, he just gives you another anchor. Uh, but also, if you have gone a little bit on the volatility end, the, it just gives you one more kind of upside bullet to kind of throw at at the wall. Who, who's who's one or two of your favorite late wide receivers? I mean, I like Bateman. Uh, I like Jamison Williams. A little bit hesitant for this week. No, I mean late. Oh, uh, you know, late, last I couple mean, rounds. I mean, uh, trying to think of, of of you know kind of where I have. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of how late we're we're going late. Uh, Rashid Shahid definitely is on the board there. Uh, as gross as it is, uh, Devontae Parker uh, is oh, another that guy is that gross. stands out. Uh, yeah. I mean, his, his targets still were consistent last year. He's a guy that's averaged 15 yards per catch. It's gross. I get it. No one wants to pick him. A little bit of Tyquan Thornton for that uh, reason, too. Uh, also, not on underdog, but if you're playing on FFPC or DraftKings, Kyle Phillips is uh, one of my go-tos. I just drafted him last week with uh... – one time and i said why aren't i even considering him more yeah i i mean he's not he's not the prototypical underdog guy that you would draft but definitely no. on DraftKings and, and ffpc uh he's definitely on my board on those i mean this is a guy week one last year he caught six he got it was he had nine targets and had six catches uh you were a little bit about the potential quarterback change and will levis mid-season but i mean there's really nothing in the way of Kyle Phillips for him to be the, the, the slot receiver for a bad offense inherently. But we're talking about a guy that goes wide receiver 80 anyways. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I feel like um, Kyle Phillips is with Will Levis is a very sneaky stack, right? Because week 15, 16, 17, you literally could draft them round 17 and 18 around 19 and 20 in 20 round drafts. And, and have a really sneaky um, kind of uh, third quarterback. Yeah, I and like speaking that. of quarterbacks, you're a little lower on uh, Justin. I mean, you're, you're, you, you are really close to both how it's going at quarterback, um, but you're a little lower on fields, a little higher on Herbert. Um, what is your fear with Justin Fields? Because to me, once you take away those five games where they didn't use him correctly, he averaged as many points above usable as Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. 
Yeah, I think with Fields is just like I've I've brought this up on a few podcasts. It's just that what he did last year feels very much like what Debo Samuel did the year prior at wide receiver. The way he scored his points are just unsustainable. So we're gonna need to see this change of him as a player. And it, it does exist in his range of outcomes because where Justin Fields has to improve is as is the the passing mechanic of fantasy football. So Justin Field is one of my favorite picks last year because of the cost. You, you know, I love buying guys that are his archetype when they're cheap. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of where Anthony Richardson is in that strike zone right now this year, maybe even potentially even Trey Lance. But, you know, now Justin Field is being drafted as what about Sam Howell. What's that? What about Sam Howell? I mean, I watched his college tape. Well, he doesn't, he's mobile, but doesn't have like that kind of rushing. No, he doesn't have that kind of juice. <laughs> he's not going to, he's not going to They, run, they ran him a lot on, on dedicated runs in college. Yeah, his, uh, yeah, his senior year. But I mean, he's not a guy that we're going to like, he's not going to threaten 800 or 1,000 rushing no. yards. It, it, uh, it, it's sad that there's nobody other than Richardson and everyone's on Richardson. Yeah, I'm the only other guy you can really kind of talk yourself even to having that range of outcomes is Lance, and like he takes such a step of faith, but he's really the only other guy uh, that kind of fits that profile. But now that Justin Fields is being priced in as basically being Jalen Hurts, right? We have to have that Jalen Hurts outcome now because these guys that are the, the Konami code guys. Well, he, he goes 12 to 24 picks after Hurts. But I'm talking, this is where Jalen Hurts went last year. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so like we need that same outcome. Um, and that takes a little bit of step of faith because Fields has just been one of the worst passers since entering the NFL. And he has a couple other bugaboos like in terms of sack avoidance, which doesn't matter for fantasy football, but it does matter for real football and may be something that limits his you know, starting caliber perception for the Bears who still have kind of runway to see if they want to commit to him or not. But you add DJ Moore, you add Darnell Wright to the offensive line. These things can be there uh it's really easy to draw that kind of corollary of like look what the bills did for josh allen look what the eagles did for jalen hurts and get there but it does i don't think the risk is being priced in a, enough with him either i'm still high on him i think i'm qb7 you know it's not like i'm down on him no, at all, a little no bit but i mean he goes off for uh, well now that lamar is signed lamar is a solid four but fields is fifth and you have yeah again and, uh, not a big not a big difference um, the one guy late that you're way lower on than the field is Jordan Love. Um, why no love for Love? <laughs> I just think he fits that. It, you can remove the ranking for him, right? Like he just fits a bucket of guys. Like can he really be? Can he really punch up to be more than like a streamer QB one type, right? Like it, it's just really hard. It's the same thing with Kenny Pickett last year. Like what's the gap? Uh, how, what's the ceiling these guys can get to? Uh, it's not so much the number that's attached to Jordan Love. It's just the type of player he is, right? Uh, yeah. That, that's yeah, really I, I kind of like him because he does have a running ability. He's not like the – He's not a statue. Yeah. I mean, well, he can run. Um, all right, let's move to tight end. We're running out of time. I do want to hit on one or two things. My favorite thing I noticed at tight end is it's kind of spicy, and I agree with it that you have uh, Waller ahead of Pitts, Kittle, and Goddard. And, um, I mean, Waller was a big target of mine uh, pre-trade because he was going two, three rounds later. And I still like him at ADP. You agree. Um, your thoughts on why you, you're so high on Dennis Waller this year? I mean, just the, the runway that he has in terms of potential targets. I mean, we know the Giants want to be more aggressive than they were last year. They still... 
kind of added just a bunch of puddle jumpers and then Jalen Hyatt, who's a third round rookie. We don't know how much Jalen Hyatt's going to play, right? Like, especially early on, uh, we can't really count on that. So Waller basically is the only kind of vertical target they have outside of Darius Slayton. And Darius Slayton's a, a, a fine player, but we saw as the season wore on, I mean, he was getting out produced by guys like Isaiah Hodgins and, and Richie James. You can't have that happen to you either. So just kind of the target runway. I really, Pitts is a guy I still monitor because sometimes he falls and sometimes he doesn't. And uh, when Pitts falls, I I, I want to grab him because we know like where the upside lies. But then right. he's still like nothing Atlanta's done this offseason has given us any type of signal like they want to change, right? Uh, and he's still dealing with potential quarterback issues. But we know that there is talent. Like it's weird because there seems to be like a group of fantasy gamers or you know that that just think he's bad at football, which definitely is not the case. No, uh, this is a guy that had well, he had a thousand yard season at age twenty one, and even last year was sixth among all tight ends in yards per out run. It was just the usage of the offense and kind of the structure of the offense that limited him. But there seems to be a group of people that think Kyle Pitts isn't good at football, which is really mind blowing to me. Uh, we didn't really touch on Herbert, but one of the weirdest things about Herbert last year was like there seems to be a group of people now that think Herbert's like overrated and not one of the ten best quarterbacks in the world uh which is absolutely mind-blowing to me uh that people actually think he's bad at football and like i don't know how we're getting to this point just because maybe it's a fantasy dichotomy right like they disappoint people think they're just bad and uh kyle pitts maybe we have to wait a couple more years for the absolute kind of ceiling to hit but when he does fall i still do like to try to grab him just in case just in case it comes together and he has been more lately because i find myself taking him more and I think Ritter is very interesting because he does have a, a running floor, um, you know, and I think that, you know, it's one of those math equations where you've got Drake London going in the fourth, fifth round. You've got pa- Kyle Pitts going in the sixth, seventh round. You've got Bijan going in the first round because a lot of it because of how he can catch the ball. But Ritter is available in the 19th round. And or 18th round on underdog. And I'm starting to target those guys and then plan my teams because not every one of my teams is a three quarterback team, but I'm willing to wait on, on my first quarterback later, knowing that I have Ritter sitting out there in a stack with a, in a beatable week 17 game with, with some talented guys. Yeah, and one of the, like I said, we talked about it with Geno Smith a little bit too. Like you look at the the teammate ADPs versus the the quarterback and where they're going, and that just inherently right now is a path to find some value on some guys uh, because of where their the playmakers are. If all those playmakers are going to hit and fulfill, even two thirds of those guys, right? Like even if uh, one of Drake. Drake London or Kyle Pitts hits with Bijan. I mean, it probably means that Ritter wasn't uh, an abomination. Yeah. And the, and the numbers are that he was better than Mariota, right? You know, I've seen some things that showed and they threw the ball more with him than they did with Mariota. Um, You know, I talk about assumptions this week and the assumption is that Arthur Smith is a complete dolt and, but Arthur Smith did pass more two years ago when he had Matt Ryan. So maybe, (laughs) you know, maybe. Um, I I, I like Greg Dulcich a lot. I mean, um, I know there's some concerns. I have him higher than you. Um, We've seen Sean Payton get a lot out of the tight end position. Um, Talented guy, showed out when he played. Um, why do you think Dulcich is where he is? 
Yeah, Dulcich and Aconqua are kind of the two guys like everyone wants to make this jump. But where they're going to have to make the jump, it's it, it's why tight end such a slow burn in the NFL. Uh, it's that these guys are at absolutely- You actually don't have them that far down. I, I apologize. You actually have them ahead of Komet and Kincaid. And he's mm-hmm. been going behind those guys lately. So we are actually on the same page with uh, Dulcich. Yeah, I think when you get into that strike zone of tight end upside guys, like like I said, Dulcich and Aconcord are the two guys that stand out. But why tight end is such a slow burn in the NFL is because it's it's uh, you know treated as kind of like a, a full-on position in the NFL, and these guys don't have the blocking acumen yet to kind of get on the field all three downs. And so can we talk about with the, with the running backs, right, like with James Cook and some of those guys? Uh, because you look at Aconco and Dulcich, they were so bad uh, in, in the run game and as blockers last year, and held, it got to a point where they weren't even asked to do it. Um, and you look at kind of Dulcich in particular, we'll start with him. Every move the Broncos have made have kind of signaled that they kind of still treat that in the range of outcomes. They immediately in free agency signed Chris Manhurts, who has done nothing but block his entire career. Uh, and then they go out and trade for, you know, Adam Troutman, Sean Payton's love child. He, Sean Payton once traded it the rest of his entire draft to get Adam Troutman, who also has blocked first over than he's run pass routes. So every move the Broncos have kind of made have kind of said like, ooh, Dulcich may not be a three down tight end. Uh, and maybe more of just like in on passing downs, which we do want our guys running routes. But we also want our guys on the field the full time too. Aconquo is a little interesting because he's he's that subset of guy where he's he's only 238 pounds, right? Like he's 240 pounds. Uh, historically, like those guys don't play as like three down guys, uh, you know, in the NFL at the tight end position. Uh, maybe he's just a glorified receiver. And we have that kind of run out, but you look at Kakanko as a blocker last year, and this is why he didn't play in one tight end sets uh, 47th and run blocking grade a pro football focus last year. Uh, he did lead all tight ends and target rate per route run when they did throw out of one tight end sets, but it was just such a small sample. It's hard to say like that's going to be like a huge jump for him. So they, those guys do take a step of faith, but I do think that those guys are kind of in that, upside grouping right like i would much rather just wait on one of those guys than draft like dalton schultz right like and just be like vanilla 100 percent. like you i mean know. We, exa- i mean i am faced with sometimes schultz being there around and a half after adp and dulcet's there and it's still a hard click for me um i don't think schultz is a bad player um yeah, i, I mean, think he's he vanilla ice get- cream yeah what's that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's he's very much vanilla ice cream. It's not yeah. that any, not any shade towards him. It's just that you know, if I'm already taking Dalton Schultz, like why not wait a little bit and take someone that like maybe has a little bit of spice right involved? Uh, Kincaid, Kincaid is probably the one guy like I just can't take him where he's going. No. Uh, the Bills historically, we talked about it a little bit with James Cook. The Bills historically have slow played all their rookies, anyways. They have on offense and defense, like they slow play all. They've historically slow played their rookies. Uh, and you, anytime you're talking about a tight end too, and you're saying, well, he's going to be their slot receiver. All right. Like historically you could just, they could have just taken an actual slot receiver. This is the most, that's the weird thing about this whole Kincaid pick with the bills is like, they could have just taken an actual slot receiver if that's what they wanted. And they did not So it's really a unique paradigm here. I still think Dawson Knox plays a lot in one tight end sets. And then that again, how much is Kincaid truly on the field? How much are we just trying to run into some potential? It's it's kind of a weird area. And then you talk about just in general, rookie tight ends aren't good draft picks. They really haven't been historically. So I'd rather kick the can and wait on like Laporta if we're taking a rookie tight end. But 
Uh, yeah, very yeah, hard well, for me to push the button. I, I didn't even like Michael Mayer that much. But, I mean, you know, there, there are some late tight ends that I really like. Um, I like Isaiah Likely a lot. I mean, I like Jelani Woods a lot. Yes, there are reasons why they might not get the volume. But that, you know, yeah, I think they're talented enough to give you the three, four weeks floor that you need out of a third tight end. But if you get an injury to Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely is, you know, shown that he can do it. Yeah, he's the contingency bet. Um, you know, Jelani Woods was a guy I was prepared to be more bullish on. And then, like I said, the rookie quarterback factor, I think, dinged him a little bit. But for best ball, I think you're still fine. Uh, a guy that is, I think is supremely undervalued in these drafts right now is Tyler Conklin. Uh, you look at there's only been nine tight ends the last two years that have 50 catches and over 500 yards the past two years. And everyone's giving all these other Jets the bump for getting Aaron Rodgers. But Kyler Conklin just still goes like tight end 24, tight end 25. Every draft, uh, he's definitely been like an easy target for me because we've seen Rodgers will throw to tight ends in the red zone. And this is a guy that's already, I think, been a little bit better than he's been given credit for the past few years. Yeah, I uh, only take him on Rodgers' teams. But I think, you know, I'll throw out one other name that I like late is Jake Ferguson. Um, you know, you get certain people who say, well, you know, Schultz isn't that talented. Dak made him a thing. Uh, well, if Dak made him a thing, I don't think Schoonmaker is going to be ready uh, year one. Um, uh, one of my favorite late guys is Ferguson. Um Thoughts on that, and then we'll get out of here. We are over budget time-wise. I don't care. I wanted to get to everything I wanted to with the great Rich Rebar. Yeah, I mean, I'm long-winded, too, and we'll get get on some tangents. But Ew, I, I interrupted you at least eight times to, 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 to add my wind. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jake Ferguson, no issues there. Uh, I believe that he will be the pass-catching tight end of Dallas. I think Schoonmaker's going to be more of a blocker. Uh, those two tight end sets. I think Ferguson's the guy you'll see when they go, uh, you know, one tight end, and then they have a guy running routes on those plays. Um, yeah, I have no problem with it. I mean, it's it, it's tight end, always that kind of world. I will say this, the one interesting thing, and I wrote about this a little bit for the book and submitted my, you know, Kansas City Chiefs chapter for the book, is as great as Travis Kelsey is, and he is deservedly so, the number one tight end, and he should be the number one tight end. There's really no way that Travis Kelsey is going to offer as much positional leverage that he offered last year. It was such a historic outlier, the gap that the field had to Travis Kelsey, that that is advantageous to play in fantasy football right now. Um, you look at last year, the tight end two in overall scoring has the lowest scoring tight end two in a season since 2016. It was the second fewest points the tight end two scored uh, over the past 12 seasons. Uh, as a byproduct, TJ Hawkinson was the tight end two. He only scored 68% of the points that Travis Kelsey put up. It was by far the highest positional leverage the tight end one has had over the tight end two in the past 30 years of fantasy football. Historically, that average gap has been 86%. Last year, it was 68%. Even in the years Kelsey previously was the tight end one overall, the margin of, of points that the tight end two scored compared to Travis Kelsey was 94%, 97%, 95%, 88%, 89%. So by, by default, the tight end position is going to offer – 
more leverage on Travis Kelsey's output, even if he is the tight end one overall again this season than last year. And that's something you can use to your advantage in drafts right now. Absolutely. Um, I will add my thoughts on it. Kelsey is a very tough, you know, he was going seventh, eighth, ninth last year. Now he's going third um, in a lot of drafts. Because of that. uh, it, you know, I mean, look, it was a historic run out. Andrews uh, got hurt. Pitts underperformed, then got hurt. You know, the, the diff, you know, Hawkinson, yeah, D- Hawkinson was fine, but not until he got traded. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. And you got to throw in the fact that he is now 34 years old. Eventually, Travis Kelsey is going to slow down. Um so, yeah, he's a tough click for me right now. Rich, thank you so much for coming on again. I loved your rankings. Overall, I mean, there was nothing, not anything that I could look at and said, wow, I really don't like that. Um, I, I think there were You're one of the they, few. What's that? You're one of the few then. Well, I, I am not the Twitter mob. That's <laughs> going to do it for this week on the Best Ball Show, and we will see you next week. <laughs>